This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Hope you're surviving the rain today. Not the nicest day outside. A perfect day, though, to sit inside, listen to some beautiful podcast magic. Daily Delivery is your source for that every single weekday. Got a lot to get to today. Andrew Kramer covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. He'll be with me here in just a few minutes to talk about you know, the access periods the team has been having, kind of what they look like on the field so far. Not seeing a whole lot from the rookies yet, but still a lot of turnover, a lot of new ideas, new concepts, a new look to the defense in particular. So Andrew and I will talk about that and more here coming up later in the show. We'll also get to a good Lynx victory get to a little NBA playoffs and the notion of a gentleman's sweep. Uh, but first, what I miss, Twins won again 2 to nothing over Detroit. I swear Detroit was supposed to be a lot better than they are this season. Detroit struggling big time. Their record now 14-28, and 28, a very familiar Tigers season taking hold. Twins 27 and 16, including 15 and 8 at Target Field, including 23 and 8 since that 4 and 8 start. Couple things I want to get to. One negative, one very positive. And let's end on the upswing. So we'll start with the negative. It was a last weekend, the not this not a few days ago, but the weekend before that that all the Byron Buxton stuff was happening, right? All the He didn't pinch hit in, I believe, the Saturday night game. Then they had to come out Sunday and tell us what the plan was, which is that he wasn't going to play every day that they were going to give him this, this amount of rest that they kind of had this magic number of 100 games played at least as the target for him to hit. He came out that Sunday, hit a home run. Um, they won that game. Everything felt like it was okay. Since that game on Sunday, May 15th, Byron Buxton is one for his last 24, and that one hit came on Monday, May 16th. He does not have a hit in more than a week, and that is a problem. Uh, that's uh, you know everybody's going to go through a little bit of a slide during the season, um, but but Buxton is fighting it in a big way. Batting average all the way down to 211. Um, OPS still good, slugging still good. Um, but he's in a big he's in a big time slump right now. Like I said, batting average almost all the way down under 200. Some grumbling from fans. We we haven't really, you know, it's been obscured because they've won every single game that he's played and he's contributed in different ways. He's gotten on base with by walk. Um, he's he's walked four times in that span and he has scored all four times he has walked. Um, so you know he's still contributing on the field on the bases, but hitting right now. And again, I don't know if it's just a coincidence or if this whole idea of the criticism he's going to get from how much he plays, if that's getting into his head, probably a coincidence. He's a professional. He's not a young guy anymore. He's, what, almost, was he 29 now? Something something like that. So he's not, you know, he's not just this, you know, young guy anymore where he's, you know, he's going to, he's 28 right now. He's not just this young guy where, you know, all this, all this stuff is going to impact him. But int- I find it interesting that that, has coincided with um with, with all this stuff coming out. And he'll probably hit, you know, he'll probably go on a 
on an upswing. That's how these things work, right? As soon as you notice someone's in a slump or as soon as you notice someone is red hot, you're likely going to get some some correction. You're likely to get you know some kind of uh, some kind of balance uh, balance tipping itself out. So I would imagine Byron Buxton will start hitting again soon, get back into that groove. But it does bear watching because he's you know his batting average was all the way up at 290 on uh, May 6th. It is you know has plummeted 79 points since then. Hasn't had a multi-hit game. In more than three weeks, he's barely getting any hits at all. Like I said, 0 for his last 19 in his last five games. So that's on the negative side of Ledger, even though the Twins have won every single one of those games. On the positive side, the 2 nothing win Tuesday is exactly why you go out in the offseason and get Sonny Gray um, to be, you know, the the... I don't know if we call him the ace of the rotation. I think Joe Ryan has pitched very well, got the opening day start, got the ball at the start of the year. But Sonny Gray is their most established good pitcher by far. If you got into a playoff series, he absolutely would have the ball in either game one or game two of that series. And you know his best outing, I would think, as a twin came Tuesday. Seven innings against Detroit. You don't see twins pitchers stretched out that far very often, especially this year, but but Sonny Gray goes seven innings, just four hits, just one walk, 10 strikeouts, no walks, throws, you know, 68 strikes out of his 95 pitches, just kind of a master class in pitching. He's only got three decisions this year, only two and one, but 2.60 ERA. He has been very good, especially since coming back from that injury, and it sounds like he is kind of finding himself right now and kind of knew what the team needed from him in that game because the you know, bullpen got stretched a little thin in that win Monday night. Some stress put on a lot of different pitchers lately. They've been using a lot of different guys down there. They needed it. They knew that going in. They needed the, they needed him to deliver, um, and, and he did. So here's first. I want to I want to play a clip from Rocco Baldelli talking about Sunday Gray, and then I want to play a longer clip from Sonny Gray talking about his outing and his comfort level. Yeah, he's in a really nice rhythm right now. Um, ball's coming out phenomenally. I think he's got good feel for all of his pitches. Um, he goes out there, throws a lot of fastballs, a lot of those two-seamers, uh, but he knows what he's doing with those pitches. It's not like he's just out there throwing fastballs blindly. He has a very good ability to manipulate and um, – you know, key off of what hitters are, are doing and trying to do to him and what they look like. Uh, he's a good pitcher, and, and we we were going to lean on him the last start the last start he had too. We probably could have pushed him a little more today. We needed him to go uh, deeper into the game. He knew it, and we all knew it, and he gave us exactly what we were hoping to see. Um, picked up everyone today. It was a big start. I, I came into the day knowing that knowing that we were kind of thin. Um, knowing that you needed to get some length, and um, I just wanted to 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 contribute. I just wanted to contribute and and help us win a game, and um, and that was kind of that was kind of my only thought was to was to attack, get deep into the game, to to go to go after the guys, and um, and just go, just just go, just just free and easy, and just go. At the beginning, I, you know, I maybe pitched in one spring training game, and I didn't feel like myself at the beginning. Um, but but since coming off, I've I've just felt just felt normal. It just feels you know like the like the field is your playground. You know, you just go out there and you just play it. We talked to Wes before, and I was like, you just just like you do, it's just like you play with your kids in the in the in the backyard. It's it's the same thing. You just go out there and you just play, and you just have fun, and you just you just. 
let it go, let everything else go, and just just go and see what happens. And um, it's great. It's it's fun to it's fun to do that. So again, that's a great sign, right? That you're you know that you that the guy you you traded your first round draft pick for, the guy that you wanted to bolster the top of the rotation, that you can go to him and say, we need this from you today. Um, it's not like he's going to deliver every single time, but the, that the, he knows what to do in those situations, that he's pitched enough in those situations that he knows how to compete and deliver in those situations. The Twins have had pitchers like that in past years, but a veteran like that who can put together a start like that, that is a pretty impressive thing. That's a nice thing for them to have. And you know, this pitching staff way, way, way ahead of what I thought they were going to be and, and certainly way ahead of what they were last year. And that has been the biggest story in this 27 and 16 first place start in the AL Central. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Joined now by Andrew Kramer, covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. He's been out and out in Egan at the TCO Performance Center last week, this week, um, some OTAs, Andrew, some mini camp kind of stuff, um, getting ready for, you know, getting ready for the season. But, you know, the first real look we've had at this team since, you know, since the draft, since they kind of reconvened um, just with a lot of the new additions and kind of seeing how things are taking shape. Um, I've got some specific things I want to ask you and get into, but maybe, you know, right off the bat, maybe you can give me some of your just impressions from being out there a handful of times in the last, you know, seven to 10 days. Yeah, you could absolutely tell. Now, Kevin O'Connell wants to say that he wants to be more than an offensive-minded head coach, but you can absolutely tell that it's a dawn of a new day with the Vikings because Kevin O'Connell is in Kellen Mond's ear as much as he's been, maybe not as much, but almost as much as he's been in Kirk Cousins' ear. Um, You've got that head coach kind of prowling over an offense that is coming from the Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams, bringing that over here, seeing guys line up in new spots, seeing Kirk uh, pick up a new offense and reunite with O'Connell, who he'd been with in Washington. Um, he's even had played with or uh, played under, excuse me, McVay before, with McVay having been his play caller in Washington at times. So he's familiar with some of this stuff, but um, I think the biggest change and just the vibe out here is a lot of positivity from this offense, which uh, under Mike Zimmer didn't uh, always seem to have that vibe. You mentioned the offense. I believe Kirk Cousins spoke to the media on Tuesday. Um, he's been a little, you know, we, we, there was such an intense kind of off-season period where there was a lot of, you know, the speculation is he maybe going to get traded, is, is you know, something going to happen here. Then he, you know, he signs the two-year extension or you know the extension that adds the the year to his deal, and you know then it kind of felt like it quieted down. And with the hiring of Kevin O'Connell in, in tandem with that, it kind of felt like that there's a little bit more stability there. That said, it's an like you said, it's a new offense. Even if he's familiar with it, what where's his head right now? Kind of you know coming into you know this point in the off season. Yeah, it's funny. I guess Kirk kind of talked about being taken to school a little bit, even though he's familiar with this offense. He talked about having the flashcards out every night, learning the new terminologies, learning uh, the new ways they want to approach things in the playbook, with not just what they call the plays, but how they set up the protections and all those things. So I think he's embracing and happy about this new fresh start, even if it comes with all that work of learning an offense, because 
he, the first word he mentioned, or one of the first words he mentioned at his podium session today was fun. Uh, we didn't hear a ton of that from him in the past. Um, and I think the fun derives from the fact that he's working with a staff that is trying to work with him and work toward his strengths and trying to be open-minded at least to any concerns he has about how they want to approach their offense and their playbook. So um, it's, it's a bit of a study time for Kirk, but I think he also has moved on from, he seems to have moved on from the uncertainty of this offseason. He did speak earlier this offseason about how um, he wants to be a Viking for life, but he had added that, I understand I've got to earn that. And that goes with the one-year extension. This is not a, a new regime that came in and said, hey, let's lock you up for four or five years. Uh, he does have an understanding of this is, if it's not year to year, it's it's pretty close. It's basically the next two years and then we'll see from the Minnesota Vikings. So I think he's excited to approach that with Kevin O'Connell with obviously being open-minded to the fact that you know, this team does have the flexibility to change directions uh, in a year or two. Now, if they're going to run, you know, I think everybody to a certain degree wants to be a quarterback friendly system. That certainly seems like it's the case with Kevin O'Connell, you know, making things, you know, sim- you know, simplifying things, making it so that, you know, there's certain things that play to your strengths, you know, and making it complicated for the defense, but easy for the offense, I believe is something that he's, he said for Kirk Cousins, what is that? look like do you think what what what's a what's a qb friendly system for kirk cousins one of the interesting things i heard today from offensive coordinator wes phillips was how much they put on the plate of their wide receivers Uh, he had talked about how a lot of their play calls don't even have the assignments for the wide receivers baked into them you hear a lot a lot of these like spider two wide banana john gruden play calls are ones that have every word, like each position needs to pay attention to just one word in the long play call. Well, that makes a lot for the quarterback to have to read it off every single position group's responsibilities. Well, one way where they've cut that off and shortened their play calls in this offensive system coming from the Rams is the wide receivers inherently have to know based on what the call is for everybody else, what they're going to be doing because the quarterback is not saying it. And if they call two or three plays at a time in the huddle, wide receivers are going to be the ones most impacted outside of the quarterback of knowing how what's happening at the line, what defense they're facing, how that adjusts, what play they're going to actually run. So Wes Phillips talked about how that helps the quarterback a lot in terms of not having to read off. uh, Here's three play calls and here's the three things the wide receivers might be doing. Uh, We put a lot on Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne. Those guys are going to have to know inherently based on what they see in the defense and what was called for everybody else, what they have to be doing. Um, and Phillips talked about how that helps the wide receivers in general contextualize and understand the game better, but it also helps the quarterback and not having to baby that position as much as you have to other positions in the offense. So I think that's one way. Another way is that we know this Rams offense uh, is very motion heavy. Uh, it comes from, and, and at least is similar to a lot of what Kyle Shanahan does in San Francisco Uh, where they really believe in moving guys around to get mismatches. And that creates and can create some clean reads and some some advantageous spots where I'm seeing in practice, we're seeing Justin Jefferson get moved around and then matched up against a linebacker who can't cover him. And I think the Vikings hope that happens pretty frequently in the game. And I know few people can cover Justin Jefferson, but getting him even more wide open than he's been, uh, I think would be pretty helpful for Kirk as well. What do you think the wide receivers think about 
that additional responsibility. I don't know if they've been available yet, but that, that does feel like there's a burden put on them and maybe it's accountability and they like that, but that's, it, it's an interesting shift I would imagine. It is. Yeah. And, and also there's going to be more of a emphasis on run blocking from those guys. And I'm not saying that previous coaching staffs like the Kubiaks haven't done that, but I think it's going to be even extra emphasized here, just understanding what went on in Los Angeles and how involved those guys were in the running game. And part of the mismatches is not just in the passing game. In the running game, they like to get, and we've seen when the Rams run for a bunch of yards on the Vikings from time to time, we've seen um, their, their bigger receivers getting matched up on uh, corners or nickel corners, um, smaller linebackers, safeties, in ways that are advantageous blocks for them. They're not saying just, hey, go head up. They're moving guys around and getting guys caught at angles, uh, angles that help the wide receivers actually block. I haven't been able to talk to Jefferson or Thielen or Osborne about that because we literally just heard it like an hour or two ago uh, from West Phillips at the podium. But um, I, it's going to be a lot more for them, and that'll be a storyline to pursue for sure. As much as the offense will change and be a you know a work in progress, I you know from the last two or three years, especially the last two years, you could definitely say the offense carried more of the burden and the weight than, than the defense did the defense finishing, you know, close to last in a lot of different categories. And, you know, they ended up in some games that were pretty high scoring where the offense either won the game for them or kept them in it. The defense is the side of the ball that, you know, a needs to stay healthy and B probably needs a little bit more of an overhaul and they're getting a system overhaul, not just a new coordinator, but you know, a three, four, they're got a lot of new personnel. I have to imagine that looks a lot different right now. It really does. It's it's different to see. And I know Mike Zimmer changed things up every now and then where you did see Daniel Hunter standing up and dropping into coverage, but to basically see it on a, on a play-to-play basis where, hey, depending on what the offense does, you might have to do this. Uh, Zadarius Smith playing the same role on the opposite edge. Um, it, it is very different in that 3-4. We're seeing Armin Watts, who was a rotational guy for them in the interior. He now has a starting job because they have that extra spot up front. We're seeing Eric Kendricks play alongside a new linebacker, Jordan Hicks, in, in a 3-4 system where there's two essentially interior middle linebackers as opposed to one. Um, that is very different. And so it'll be interesting to see how those guys take to that. And frankly, the most important part for this defense is how healthy and productive can those two star edge rushers be? Because with Hunter and Smith, those are two of the top guys in the NFL when healthy. And if they can play to their potential, and we saw them moving around a little bit in practice today where uh, Smith and Hunter are on the same side, they're moving around before the snap. Um, there's some creative things that I think you've seen maybe even Packers defenses do with Zadarius in the past that we could be seeing here in Minnesota. Uh, and then pair that with Daniel Hunter's talents. Um, I think the pass rush could be a, a big, obviously, key for this defense. This is probably more of a training camp question and a you know a further evaluation question and you know without seeing uh, the rookies haven't been on the field even at all yet right in this in this session but yeah they've been with the backups primarily anybody that you anybody you've seen that you hadn't seen before or anybody that's coming back from something where you say okay that that guy looks good or this is this is a you know this this could work for them well it'll be interesting on defense if. Harrison Phillips is obviously the new nose tackle, replacing Michael Pierce there in the middle. Dalvin Tomlinson is a guy that I've got my eye on because when they transition to their sub packages, their nickel, their extra defensive backs, he's still going to be on the field. He's still going to play a prominent role on that defensive line. And the Vikings, the previous regime, paid a lot of money to get him in here to be a, a kind of a game changer in the middle. 
And he's somebody that when you talk to people around the organization, they've spoken really highly of what he's done so far um, and transitioning to this three, four role that kind of moves him more outside the offensive tackle as opposed to the interior. It's something he's done before with the Giants, which I think that past experience can help him. Um, but if he's solid and if Harrison Smith, Harrison Phillips, excuse me, is what they paid for on the interior, you've got a starting four defensive line in that nickel that can be pretty good. Um, and I don't think Tomlinson did a whole lot last year in terms of what people were expecting and what they paid for. So he's somebody that had kind of a quiet year. And, and I wonder if this new defensive shift back to what he's done before can help get more out of him. Trying to figure out at this point kind of what this team's identity will be or what what they'll be really good at. And, you know, I'm sure that will evolve. We haven't even seen them play a game under Kevin O'Connell, let alone go through an entire training camp. But it's just, you know, it, I feel like a team kind of needs that. And I don't know what, I don't even know what to identify really as what that would be yet. Is it is it maybe the, I mean, I feel like it kind of stems from the offense at this point, but it's, it, it feels like so much more of a mystery than than, than in the past where the, the identity, at least their chosen identity was very clear. It was going to be defense and, and trying to limit what the other team did. Yeah, and I'll, I'll preface what I'm about to say by saying that Kevin O'Connell as a play caller is going to be a lot more progressive than what Mike Zimmer allowed his previous play callers to be in terms of throwing on first down, throwing on second down, um, not being so afraid to take those chances. However, I wish I had a dollar every time I heard somebody, a coach, bring up C.J. Ham's name. This guy keeps getting referenced over and over, and, and we've seen him on the field a lot just in these two open OTAs. So that would lead me to believe that I expect Dalvin Cook is still going to get plenty of handoffs. And I'm not saying they're going to run as much as Mike Zimmer ran the ball uh, or wanted to, but I don't think this identity of this offense is going to be as one-sided pass-heavy as the Matthew Stafford Rams were. I wonder if it might look more like the Todd Gurley Rams, where they still lean pretty heavily on that running game and heavier formations and used that deception to try and get the passing game unlocked downfield. And, and that's what I'm interested to see is when this offense starts playing games and starts taking shape, um, how differently do they use the fullback, the running back, and how are they going to be just as involved basically as the Kubiaks who love to use the fullback? So I think this offense will look much different than LA in that fashion. And, and that's what I'm really interested to see moving forward in terms of the identity of it. A couple more thoughts for you as we kind of think about this team kind of taking shape in the next, you know, months as, as we go on here. Um, you know, as, as we think about people who have opportunities this year, I think you've talked about a few names already. And obviously we know, you know, the rookies, Lewis, Lewis scene, who hasn't really gotten in with the ones yet, or, you know, people who are, are in or, or out or whoever, who aren't really in, in the full mix yet. But who, who do you, who do you see, whether it's, you know, first year guys, second year guys, or even just returning players in a new scheme, who has kind of the, the bigger opportunity to, to, to have a bigger shine this year than maybe they, they have in the past or, you know, splash in as a rookie player. Well, I think one guy has been around for a minute, but has a big opportunity is Irv Smith. Um, Irv Smith, obviously coming off that knee injury, didn't play last year. I think he's now stepping into a system that can uh, be a little more advantageous for him in the passing game, especially in terms of being creative and where they move him around and how they try to create the mismatches with him. Um, the good thing is for him, he's been healthy. He's been participating in all these uh, OTAs and 11 on 11 sessions. And that's what they need. They need him to be fully healthy because frankly, they didn't sign anybody behind. No. Him. And they, they brought over the Rams number two tight end. 
uh, who has been very helpful for them behind the scenes and helping the other guys on offense learn this system. But um, he was a number two guy. He's more of a, a, a fullback kind of tight end than he is a receiver. So Irv is going to be that guy that Kevin O'Connell has spoken really highly of and has uh, really talked about trying to get him open downfield. Um, Wes Phillips was just talking today about a play with Irv Smith where um, it was just a seam route down the middle between cover two, but the way he snapped off his route in between the two safeties and sat from going full speed to not, not only doing that off of the knee injury, but then having the talent to do that at 200, whatever pounds a tight end is. Um, that's the kind of stuff that they're excited to see from him. And I think he's a guy that, that could really kind of stand out in a way that we all really expected him to last year. So 17 and 0 is what you're telling me. I saw the schedule came out, you know, a little while ago and yeah, you, you kind of go through it and you're like, it does, it does feel like it, you know, with nine home games, only seven true road games, and then the game in, in London, the way it stacks up, looks like there's opportunities for them to, you know, get off to a decent start to, to kind of build a winning record. You know, obviously you got to play at Green Bay and at Chicago to, to finish things up, but there's, um, there's, there's room for optimism here. I would imagine that, uh, that uh, they've got to be feeling pretty good about those opportunities ahead. I think they are too. And, and that's just that when you talk about the schedule, I mean, at least defensively, because that's the big question mark, right? How does the new secondary come together? How does this, how do all these veterans still on the team change roles and kind of blend into this new system that frankly, a lot of them have never played in before. Um, they at least don't have to play a murderer's row of quarterbacks. When you look at that schedule, not, not to do total win loss, win loss in May, but um, I think the tough quarterbacks are just Rodgers twice, Prescott, Kyler Murray, and that's that's about it. Josh Allen, I guess, and that's about it. Uh, that's 12 other games against pretty mediocre to, to below mediocre quarterbacks uh, on their schedule. So I, I don't think it's going to be too tough for them in terms of some of the offenses they're going to be facing. Um, but yeah, a lot of question marks about how that defense comes together and certainly how Kirk Cousins fares um, cause we've, we've been up and down on that roller coaster before as well, but yeah, a lot of optimism, uh, before Memorial day weekend. That's for sure. But there always is. Well, we'll see how <laughs> that all plays out. Good stuff. We'll, uh, follow Andrew's coverage, start tribune, start tribune.com. We'll probably do an access Viking podcast later this week too, where we talk through a few more of these things in detail. Andrew, go, uh, go, ca- go catch the rest of everything and we'll, we'll catch up to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Now, like Andrew talked about, a lot of changes on this Vikings defense, and for good reason. They were they've been bad the last two years, and you can point to injuries, you can point to you know other things, you can point to this being a passing league and them having to play a lot of good teams, a lot of good quarterbacks. Bottom line is the defense just has not gotten it done in a lot of these key situations in the past years. It certainly was the case in 2020, and you've still felt it in 2021 that they weren't going to be able to get that stop when they needed it, that more often than not, they were going to lean on the offense if they were being smart. And so, you know, having this new scheme, having some new people in here, I have no idea how it's going to look. I have no idea how effective it's going to be, but change in this case is for the better. And I'm I'm just very curious to see how Kevin O'Connell and the staff kind of work the margins, try to create these favorable matchups, whether it's on offense or defense, to try to play to the strengths of the players on their team and how much that factors into, you know, a play here, a play there, those kind of three to five plays that swing NFL games, how much that has an influence on what happens next year for the Vikings. The Dallas Mavericks, let's switch gears to the NBA, beat Golden State, stayed alive. They're now down three to one. That was the predict, the most predictable game in the series, right? Um, Golden State was th- up 3-0, 
That was the game in Dallas before the series goes back to Golden State. We like to call this in the business a gentleman's sweep. It is not a clean sweep. It's not a four-game sweep where you go 4-0. But a lot of times what happens is when that home team, the team at the home, the home court, wins the first two games of the series, you'll see them kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit and let the other team have one on their home court and then go finish things off in game five. You saw that with the Wolves and Rockets a few years ago is the perfect example of that. Rockets won the first two in Houston. Wolves got game three. It was close at halftime in game four. Then the Rockets put a 50-piece on them in the third quarter, blew them, blew their doors off in game four, and finished things off in game five for a 4-1 gentleman sweep. I feel like that's where we're headed with Golden State-Dallas. Dallas is a good team, a credible team. They still feel like they have a chance in this one, but I feel like Golden State's just going to finish this thing off um, when that series shifts back to Golden State, and the Warriors are going to be in the finals once again. Let's finish with the cooler. The Lynx got a big win on Tuesday after that 1-6 and six start, starting to feel like they are rounding into shape a little bit more. They've been playing much better lately. Lynx trailed New York by 8 in the fourth quarter of that game, but made a big rally to win 84-78. to Kayla McBride and uh, Ariel Powers kind of keying things in the fourth quarter, really, you know, kind of digging down deep, getting to the free throw line. Um, you know, the Lynx just couldn't couldn't buy a shot, but uh, but they still managed to 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 win that game, a big important game. Defense got it done for them as well. They had a 21 to 7 run to end the game to get them that 6-point win. So, big one for the Lynx. We'll see if that translates into better times ahead. They're just still just 2 and 6, but hey, that beats 1 and 7, especially after the start they had to this season. That will do it for today. Should have some Minnesota Aurora soccer talk on Thursday's show. They open their season. They open their franchise on on Thursday. A big home game for them. So I want to talk to, you know, just just talk a little bit more about them on Thursday's show. Thanks so much for joining me here today on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.